Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is brought to us in part by Book Riot and our mystery thriller giveaway. So mystery thriller readers, this one's for you. We're giving away the 10 best mysteries and thrillers of the year so far to one lucky Book Riot reader or podcast listener. The prize pack includes Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, The Lost Man by Jane Harper, American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson, one of my favorites, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash bestmysteries to enter to win, and don't forget to leave your lights on. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 62, and we're recording on September 6th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Inspired by the Hugos, we are talking about award winners in this episode, mm-hmm. and got to go through all of the backlists of all the different awards, and... I was definitely trying to look at some of the awards I don't necessarily that don't necessarily get as much buzz mm-hmm. as well. So I found the whole process really interesting and eye-opening, especially when you go back in time. I don't know how far back you were looking, Jen, but going back far in time, you see how the lists were and how they are today. It's very interesting. Yeah. Interesting <laughs> is one word for it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I confess that I just, I was like, how far will I go back? And then started yeah. poking around and discovered that I didn't actually need to go that far back for my own purposes. But yeah, yep. it is, I like the phrase, we've come a long way applies. I also think we have a long way to go. Um, and that's fine too. But yeah. Yeah, so we're going to get to talking about all of our picks for award season, Um, but first we're going to tell you about our sponsor. Yes, and so I know a lot of you have been waiting with grabby hands for this to be out. It is Finale by Stephanie Garber, which is the third book in the Caraval series, which was just hit us like a tidal wave when it first came out, if I recall correctly. There was a lot of buzz and a lot of readers. And this, as I said, is the final book, third and final book in this number one New York Times bestselling series. And in the terms of the story, it's been two months since the fates were freed from a deck of cards. Whoa. Uh, two months since legend claimed a throne and two months since Tella discovered that the boy she fell in love with doesn't really exist. I hate when that happens. Uh, Tella, so now Tella has to decide if she's going to trust Legend. Scarlet has to do the impossible after uncovering a secret. And Legend has to make a choice that will perhaps change him forever. And so Caraval might be over, but the greatest game of all has begun. And if you have been waiting to find out what happens next to your favorite characters, 
this is your time. Now is your time. So again, that is Finale. It's the third book in Stephanie Garber's Caraval series, and it is available now. Go forth and read. And that was sponsored by Flatiron Books. Thank you so much. All right. Let's talk about some news. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about the legendary Ursula Le Guin and the news that there's going to be an Earthsea TV series and it's in the works. I think this was already something we knew that Ursula had approved an adaptation, um, but now it's in the works by A24 and producer Jennifer Fox. Jennifer Fox is an Oscar-nominated producer who did, who was involved in Nightcrawler and Michael Clayton, and they're developing the Earthsea fantasy books for TV. And I know that there are a lot of people out there who were maybe even introduced to science fiction and fantasy through Ursula Le Guin and probably came to read Earthsea early in their reading because it was very, I found it very friendly for like, you know, high school readers, middle grade readers. I believe I read it maybe for the first time in high school. Mm. And so lots of people have skin in the game here. Lots of fans of Ursula Le Guin. Again, she did approve an adaptation. So that's always good news. Um, She approved it before she died earlier last year and gave this producer specifically her blessing to turn it into a series of films originally now it's going to be turned into a TV series. It's being re-envisioned. And I think that there's definitely plenty to work with. The story is a little bit, it's spare in the way some classics are. So I'm really curious about how they're going to expand on the world of Earthsea and that uh, first book and how they're going to cast the characters because, of course, we don't have news about that yet. Mm. And, you know, early, I do not think this is going to happen because Jennifer Fox was so closely involved with Ursula Le Guin and it sounds like they had some conversations about her creative direction. And so I do not think that this is necessarily going to be a thing where I have to worry about them casting a lot of like white characters in place of the brown characters that were in the actual series. So... That gives me some hope, Um, but I'm looking forward to this. It's going to take a while to get here, but I haven't really watched. I know there was mention of another Earthsea adaptation that was done. I don't think I've ever seen it, so this is going to be a first time for me watching an adaptation of an Ursula Le Guin Uh, book. How about you, Jen? What do you think about this news? Yeah, I'm hopeful also. I'm dying for somebody to do Earthsea Justice. The previous adaptations Mm. from the little bits of them that I've seen were not amazing. And the, I think it was 2004 when was whitewashed in the casting. It was very disappointing. Yeah, exactly. So, and she, I think she had co-written the teleplay, but, you know, authors Mm -hmm. only have so much... They only have so much input, and especially in terms of casting, I think they have very little. Um, so I, but I do feel like this, it seems like this producer is taking it seriously. Her son is involved, or at least is giving statements on this, according to the deadline article. So fingers crossed. It's funny, actually, I was just thinking about how there's a, there's an Ursula Le Guin book called The Lathe of Heaven. 
which mm-hmm. is one of my all-time favorites of hers. And they did make a movie out of that, including Lisa Bonet. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it came out like <laughs> a long time ago. I think I was in it was the early aughts when I first watched it, and I think it had been out for a little bit by then. And I cannot for the life of re- me remember whether or not it was good. Like, I don't think it was, but I love Lisa Bonet. <laughs> and so I think I was, like, just so happy that that actress was in an Ursula Le Guin adaptation that I I just, I can't, I'm going to have to rewatch it at some point. I cannot remember a single thing about it other than that she was in it and that I watched it. Um, but, you know, it's been like more than almost 20 years since that happened. So my memory is foggy. But, uh, but, but other than that, yeah, I haven't watched any of the other. Well, that's not true. Studio Ghibli did an Earthsea adaptation that was te- I thought it was terrible quite frankly oh, no. I did not I usually love I know Ghibli. same and I was really they changed the story hugely it was like barely recognizable as Earthsea at all and I really was so disappointed because they had such an opportunity and especially with you know it's it's comics like you can you it's it's animated you could do but they didn't they you know it's still pretty whitewashed and it was it was a real letdown um so yeah I'm I'm hopeful I'm hopeful I'm I'm ready for a good one (laughs) I'm so ready I think we all are yeah so we'll see how this goes um I'm definitely going to be paying close attention to the news and we'll let you know as the story develops mm-hmm. well speaking of diverse casting mm-hmm. i want to talk about <laughs> i'm losing my mind y'all so they announced another wheel of time actor this past week they've announced that daniel henny is going to play lan madrigoran and i i, I cannot even tell you i like preeti and i were screaming at each other in g chat <laughs> i just don't even know what to do with myself because daniel henny is amazing first of all um if you haven't seen him on hawaii 50 and or criminal minds and or a bunch of other things like he's fantastic and lan is such a key character like so important and i He's like the Aragorn of Wheel of Time. If you haven't read the series, like that's what you should be thinking of here. And so such a key character, such a powerful character, such a character like in my own personal development as like a teenage girl reading these. I had the biggest crush on him. He's a swordsman. He's a badass. Like he is an amazing character. And and they cast Daniel Henney like in a thousand years. I would never have guessed that that's who they were going to cast. And I'm so excited. Um, This cast continues to be amazing in terms of who they've selected. Uh, We talked about it a little bit last time. I'm still so excited. Like, officially, I am broken. Like, Amazon has broken me. They figured it out. They've cracked me. I'm like, I can't. I can't. I'm not going to be able to not watch this. I'm so excited about it. It sounds amazing. I saw this and I was like, I wish I knew who this was, <laughs> but I will say that I immediately clicked on the link after I saw this photo, which yes. I don't know. That's just me. Um, but I don't know as much about the story and I don't know as much about the actor, but hearing you rave about it <laughs> has made me feel very excited about it somehow. I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. So I'm really glad. In general, I'm just really happy to see diverse casting 
in these, you know, in science fiction, fantasy, in everything, because it feels like a long time coming. Mm -hmm. And so it makes me feel proud when I see these things. It makes me feel proud of the genre and proud of, you know, the development of where we're going. We're not there yet, as you mentioned before, but this is wonderful news. It's always heartwarming to see Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Oh, yes. He's great. (laughs) Okay. um, Speaking of adaptations, as there are a million of (laughs) them, (laughs) the Testaments, it's been in the news a lot. Uh, One of the headlines is that there's going to be Hulu and MGM are already planning to bring it to the screen. This probably doesn't surprise anybody uh, with The Handmaid's Tale being so successful as an adaptation. I feel like anything Margaret Atwood does, it's almost like Stephen King level. I won't be surprised if they go through her backlist and do, you know, reimaginings and adaptations and those sorts of things, depending on how she feels about that sort of thing. Uh, but The Testaments is the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. If you haven't heard about it before, I think we might have talked about it. But just in mm-hmm. case, it's the sequel to The Testaments. Um, I think I mentioned that I didn't necessarily feel like a sequel was necessary. Mm. I still don't know if I'm going to read this book. Uh, but whether or not I read it, it's already a big, buzzy book. And another reason it was in the headlines was because Amazon broke the embargo for releasing it and some people got it early. So some people have already read this book or maybe they just have it in their hot little hands. Um, But Hulu immediately jumped on it and they're going to be adapting it. It'll probably, again, be a very long while before we see it, but... If you've been watching The Handmaid's Tale, you know that it's eventually going to come to a close. They haven't necessarily been following the book because the book ends at a certain point and the show goes on. So Margaret Atwood is again involved in the adaptation of The Testaments as Hulu tries to find a way to kind of expand upon the universe of The Handmaid's Tale. And it'll be interesting to see what this book is actually about, where they take the people of Gilead, where they take the handmaids, and what the sequel is going to present both as a book and as an adaptation. But I am definitely not surprised about this news coming out. And I'm sure lots of people are going to be really interested in seeing it. So what about you? I have nothing to add to what you yeah. said it's i'm i don't know if i'll read it or not i yeah i haven't been watching the show it was too much for me and i probably won't watch this either but i i was the same you know i think it's i think the people who are excited about this are really excited which is legit uh and that's all i have to say all right 
right. So that's our Margaret Atwood news of the day. Yeah. Um, so so relevant to our a theme today of awards is our last piece of news. I want to talk about the renaming of the John W. Campbell Award, which was recently renamed the Astounding Award at the end of August. And this is significant for a bunch of reasons. We talked on the last show about how Jeanette Ng won this award and her speech was fire. And part of the fire of that speech was her calling out that John W. Campbell was not perhaps somebody who should be honored by being named from for an award. Uh, he, She called him a fascist. He definitely wrote racist editorials. There are a lot of things that are not great about John W. Campbell. And the administrators of the award did, in fact, rename it. And Ng is not the first person who has called out uh, the Campbell Award for John W. Campbell's legacy. And so she, I guess, was just kind of the tip of the iceberg. But it was really nice to see the committee take action and rename it the Astounding Award for Best New Writer. And it is heartening to me to see this happen also because this is not the first award that's had a much needed overhaul, right? Yep. So the the uh, World Fantasy Award previously was a the literal award that you get. The statuette was a bust of H.P. Lovecraft, who is very known to have been a racist and all kinds of, you know, I think homophobic and anti-Semitic as well person. Um, and so they successfully petitioned a few years back to get that changed. It's now like a kind of spooky tree, um, and which is great. And uh, and so, yeah, so so we're in an interesting time around awards where we're really considering the naming of awards and who is honored in these awards and the recipients, you know, who would not have been honored by those originators. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean to us as a genre? What does it mean to awards committees? What does it mean to the recipients? Um, And so I'm heartened by that quite a bit. Yeah, I am too. And, you know, it feels like there's definitely movements around these actions. And I feel like a lot of it is overdue. There's this Mm -hmm. sort of sense that, you know, it was kind of okay to live in the status quo and it was just a name. And, you know, I feel like nobody was really questioning these names that were being associated with awards that were being given to marginalized people and what that might mean to them and how it might take something Mm -hmm. away from them receiving this award. So I think everybody is kind of fed up. um, And I'm really glad to see committees taking action and not trying to push back against it because I know that there can be some outcry, as we've seen in the fandom community, like the old guard (laughs) sort of thing, uh, where it's just like – it becomes like a trolling situation with the sad mm-hmm. puppies, as is mentioned in this fantastic news piece you put together. Oh, then. stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is, I was really happy to see this news. Um, I'm really glad people are speaking up and I'm sure everybody is going to be glad not to have that name associated with this award anymore. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we get to talking about our award winners, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, which is Recommended. Hey! 
another Gen production, <laughs> which is fantastic and looking like it's already starting out on a roll. So tune into the newest season of Recommended, where we're talking to interesting people about their favorite books. In season five, we'll hear from authors Nicole Dennis-Ben, whose book I literally just picked up last weekend, so I'm really excited to read it. And Tamsin Muir, a disabled and cute creator, that's hashtag Kaya Brown, cartoonist Jen Wang, and many more about the books that have shaped their reading lives. So definitely go to bookriot.com slash recommended to listen. I'm always fascinated by the conversations these authors have, and I have had the joy of interviewing some of these authors, and it is just enthralling. Every second of it is enthralling. So definitely check out Recommended. I will give a bonus tip that our on episode one, Samantha Allen talks about The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula <laughs> Le Guin, and it's a great conversation. It's so interesting. Oh, that's so what I'm going to hear that one for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, shall we talk about our award winners? Let's do it. So I will kick us off. I decided to, I was thinking about like, what, like, first of all, how do you even pick which awards you're going to look at? (laughs) Because there are so many niche awards out there for science fiction and fantasy. I mean, obviously, there are the Hugos and the Nebulas, which get covered, but there are so many other ones. And some of them are really targeted and interesting. And one of my favorite awards that goes kind of under the radar, I'm not sure how many people know about it, are the Kitchies, which go to the year's most progressive, intelligent, and entertaining fiction that contains elements of the speculative or fantastic. I will leave a link in the show notes for you to explore more about it. But I love that the awards are like tentacles. Like there you get different color tentacles depending on which award you've won. Like I that just cracks me up. It's so funny, y'all. Like who doesn't want a tentacle statue for their no writing? Way. Like come on. Um one day maybe we one of us will write a book that will get a tentacle. I'll just you know what whatever I'm just gonna send you a tentacle in the mail. That's gonna happen. Um <laughs> but so my sci-fi pick, which is actually a little bit of science fantasy, it's got a touch of magic to it, is Hunger Makes the Wolf by Alex Wells, who is a Book Riot contributor and the editor of the Swords and Spaceships newsletter. So you should definitely sign up for that if you haven't already. Um, and they won the Golden Tentacle in 2017 for Hunger Makes the Wolf, which is the first in a series called The Ghost Wolves. And I love this novel. It is so fun. And so interesting. And if you are a Becky Chambers fan, I think this is in that same wheelhouse because it has found family. It takes place a bunch in space. And it's like the little guys sticking it to the big guys. So there's a lot going on here. Um, there, The main character, Hob, is an orphan on a planet known as Tanagawa's World. It's owned by a company with a monopoly on interstellar travel. A little bit of a dune flavor there. And it is kind of like... Like a deserty world. 
And she gets taken in by a man who is part of a mercenary biker troop on this planet. So amazing. Desert bikers, uh, the ghost wolves. And so she becomes part of the bike gang. And they do like, it's very like odd jobs, mercenaries for hire. They're not like law abiding, but they're not the bad guys. Um, and so this has been going on for about 10 years. And one day she finds the body of uh, Nick's brother. Nick is the guy who took her in. Um, his, his brother is dead. She finds his body out in the dunes. And his daughter, who has become basically Hobbs' sister, is missing and has been kidnapped by this like shady organization called the Weathermen. So she has to try to find her friend slash sister and gets enmeshed in all of this like corporate intrigue and violence. And there's some interesting like planety magic stuff. And there's, you know, trade disputes and there's lots of action. And it's just so much fun and has such a great heart and such great characters. I just loved it. It's a really fun adventure that will also make you think. So, I mean, I don't I don't remember what else it was up against the year that it won, but I'm really pleased that it did because I love it. Um, so again, that's Hunger Makes the Wolf. It's the first in the Ghost Wolf series by Alex Wells. Those found family stories, Ugh, though, they get me every It's time. catnip, I tell you. I just can't <sighs> resist it. Me too. Um, okay, my science fiction pick is I went a little bit back and I chose Angel Maker by Nick Harkaway, which won the 2012 Kitschies, so I am jumping on that Kitschies bandwagon. Yes. So it read, won the Red Tentacle Award. Uh, and I can't, I kind of can't believe that this book came out in 2012 because that seems like an eon ago. Right. It's just like, I, I just don't know where's time going. But I was definitely not paying attention to awards back when I read Angel Maker, but I am retrospectively pleased that it won something because it's one of those really bonkers, fun reads, and I'm pretty sure it picked me up out of a very long reading slump. Mm. So that always gets bonus points in my book. This is a really fast-paced science fiction story featuring everything from dangerous clocks You've got dastardly monks, spies, assassins, and bees. And it's described as gangster noir meets absurdist comedy. And I wholeheartedly agree with that description. And I feel like for anybody who knows about Nick Harkaway or has read any of his uh, books, that sounds just about right. And the story itself follows a character called Joe Spork, who is the son of a renowned gangster. And Joe is this, the son of this criminal mastermind, but he leads a quiet, maybe even sad sack life cubbied away in this clock repair shop of his until this mysterious stranger walks in with a job only Joe is equipped to take care of, of course. But then Joe doesn't realize that he's getting in, himself into this huge mess when he takes on the job and... What he does get into is this complete change of life with literal shadows following him and this unassuming elderly client by the name of Edie Bannister. And Edie is, I think, around 90 years old. I, I thought she was like an octogenarian before, but I think that was just how she was described in 
the, the blurb copy or the publisher synopsis. But I think she's actually 90 years old when we first meet her. And she has this really strange purse dog. And she also has <laughs> the coolest backstory. I could never remember if her purse dog was stuffed. I don't know why. No, no. He was real. He was real. Bastion. Okay. He was real. Bastion. Bastion. He had, he had fake eyes. He's blind. That's why. That's why I thought he was. Yeah. My memory reminded me, oh, he's stuffed. Of course, he has fake eyes. Okay, so <laughs> Edie is amazing. If you couldn't already tell from her description, very interesting, very unusual. Joe Spork was also a really great character, but Edie was my boo. Like, she mm. did not leave, lead a sad sack life. Um, and now in the story, she's coming out of retirement to prove that it's never too late and you're never too old to vanquish your foes <laughs> and it just so happens that Edie's arch nemesis has now become joe spork's problem as well he's embroiled in this situation so they go on this wild race kind of situation each doing their part to save the day and maybe the world and this chalk this book is like chock-a-block with sciencey stuff including a train with the image of this train has stuck in my mind forever it's sort of like imagine sort of this steampunky train that is being driven by really scary mysterious characters mm. and it's the setting for this adrenaline inducing scene there are mad scientists there's science experiment gone awry and the story also goes back and forth between Joe Spork and Edie's present and then also Edie's past where we learn about her upbringing, her boarding school days, and her training. And really, she's just the best. But you don't get the full story of why Edie is hellbent on this mission and who who's at its core until you get further along in Edie's backstory. So I just found it absolutely gripping and... Again, a perfect read for a reading slump if you're ever in one. I remember being uncertain at the first chapter, I will say. It felt a little bit slower going, but once I was in it, I could not put it down. And I know a lot of you out there love a sci-fi caper as much as I do. So if you do, and if you also like a dash of horror in your comedy sci-fi, it's really bonkers. I would definitely recommend Angel Maker. Again, that was by Nick Harkaway. I love that book. I've read everything Nick Harkaway has written, and so far he has not disappointed me. And true story, I cosplayed as Edie Bannister for Halloween one year. Uh, of course you did. I did. I looked up YouTube tutorials for old lady makeup, <laughs> and like I, I, I still have the stuffed dog that I made to be Bastion. <laughs> I can't believe this. I, will, I had no idea when I chose this. I will find you pictures. There are pictures on the internet somewhere. Please send them. Nobody Please knew send. who I was. It was hilarious. Everybody was just like, what the? What is wrong with you? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, I don't care that you don't know. I am Edie Bannister for today, living my best life. So <laughs> I would have known. You would have known. I would have known. You get me, Sharifa. I get you. All right. <laughs> let's see. Okay. So my fantasy pick is actually a short story that won the Tiptree Award in 2018. And the Tiptree Award encourages the exploration and expansion of gender. Um, and speaking of naming controversies, so in the wake of the Campbell Award being renamed the Astounding Award, some folks then turned their attention on the Tiptree Award, which is named after James Tiptree Jr., who, which was the pseudonym for Alice Sheldon. And I did not know anything 
about the controversy around Alice Sheldon and her death and that of her husband. And there's a link in the show notes from the um, administrators of the Tip Tree Award that I will give you uh, warnings for a discussion of suicide, mental illness, and caregiver murder. It's really intense and dark, and I had no idea about any of this stuff because I just I've read I've read Tip Tree's work, but I never and I knew who Alice Sheldon was, but I didn't really know anything else about her. Um, and particularly people in the disabled community have asked that that award be renamed as well. And there's a note from the committee members about thinking about what it means for an award to be named after a specific person. And they're a little bit justifying why they're not going to change it right now in response to this call. But they're also saying that it's something they're thinking about for the longer term. So it seems like it's possible that this award will be renamed eventually, question mark. Um, but if you're interested in looking more into that, I highly recommend following the link that I'm going to leave in the show notes because it is it is a really complicated and complex question. And I appreciate that people are thinking actively both about what other awards could be updated and what it means to have an award named after a specific person because no person is perfect, right? And whatever the cultural mores of that person's time, which often get trotted out as an excuse for certain behaviors. Like I know even if, you know, we like you could name an award the Nick Harkaway Award, but it's totally possible that that would actually be a bad idea in the long run. And like any person, no matter how much you might love them in a given moment, is a fallible human being. I'm not picking on Nick Harkaway. I'm just saying like (laughs) I'm just saying any of us, all of us, like you could name it the Jen Northington Award and I would highly advise you not to because (laughs) like I we've all done things we're not proud of. We've all have so much to learn. We will all do things that we're not proud of. And like, yeah, why Why do we need to name awards after specific people? It's a question that I think is really timely and worth thinking about in all kinds of ways. Um, so, OK, so back to my pick for fantasy. The short story is called They Will Dream in the Garden. It's by Gabriella Damian Miravete. And I'm going to leave a link. You can read the whole thing on Latin American literature today. And I found this one. I just went down an awards rabbit hole. Honestly, I was just Googling like awards, science fiction and fantasy to see what came up. And this story is so good. I hadn't heard of it before. And I was really delighted that it was available to read online. I read the whole thing in like one little sitting And I just, it's so lush and interesting. Um, And it is set in a future in which virtual technology, virtual reality technology has come along enough that it is possible to create these interactive holograms uh, that, you know, can respond to people and, you know, have, they will say things that are sort of pre-programmed, but but they can interact with people who come to see them. And there is this memorial garden and there are these virtual silhouettes in this memorial garden and they are women who were murdered. And the story goes back and forth between the 1980s in Mexico um, with a woman named Maricela uh, and her story and how she came to be the caretaker of this memorial garden in the sort of 
unnamed specific future that this story takes place in and how many friends she lost to these murders and what and how almost nothing happened about it and what she and other women did to try to keep themselves safe. And I don't know how many of you know this, but this is I mean, this is a known issue um, in Mexico in particular, although other places as well, that these women are murdered by, you know, men in their lives um, and nothing is done. The police don't investigate. They're often, you know, not even given good burials. Like it's just it's a real it's a real issue. And this story takes that and like envisions, you know, both a way to honor those women, but then also what does it mean to honor the dead and what does it mean to memorialize someone and how how do we how can that be turned into something that actually doesn't serve either and it's so thoughtful and so beautifully written and has such a atmosphere to it i love it when a short story you know like the tardis feels bigger on the inside and this is one of those stories that just feels i feel like i saw this whole world even though it is in fact a very short story so i just loved it it's highly worth checking out and you can read it for free online that's just amazing uh, so again that's they will dream in the garden by gabriella damian miravete that sounds incredible. It's intense. And, yeah, it does sound extremely intense. Um, but I might have to read it. And I am also, I'm I'm just thematically on the same pace as you. So, you know, I love to use a theme to bump up something on my TBR. <laughs> which is why for my fantasy pick, I chose If At First You Don't Succeed, Try, Try Again by Zen Cho. Yes. And you might recall from our last episode, this one, this year's Hugo for Best Novelette, which I suppose is longer than a short story, shorter than a novella. Mm. And this one is also available to read online, and it's at the Barnes & Noble blog. That is where I read it, and of course, there will be a link in the show notes. And it's the same thing. You can read it in a matter of hours. And I just thought, I read this last night at the last minute. Um, but I thought it was so clever and hilarious and heartfelt. It was kind of the satire of motivational blather, I guess you could call it. <laughs> Which makes sense. Like, for I didn't think about the title until I thought about the title, until I started reading this story. So the story follows an Amugi who goes by Bayam. And Bayam is this serpentine dragon in progress who's really desperate to claim its place in the heavens and become at long last an actual dragon. And in the story, the only thing that can stop it from getting to where it needs to be is humankind and itself. So as the title suggests, Bayam tries and tries and things don't go exactly as planned but exactly as planned isn't always, you know, the capital W way. And this is one of those stories where you think you know exactly where it's taking you. And then it takes a sharp left turn and you're like, wait, what? But in the best way, I loved every strange course this story took me on because it's really heartfelt. It's sweetly innocent, I guess. And... I was literally resting my chin on the backs of my hands with like heart eyes popping out of my skull, which is much less gruesome than it sounds. <laughs> but there was definitely a moment where I was like, oh my goodness, this is so sweet. 
Um, so what I'm saying is I just love Biome and I, I found myself just as desperate as it was to see it succeed, whatever it turned out success looked like. And of course I don't want to say too much more about the plot itself because this is a story you can read in a matter of hours, so it's rife for spoiling. But what I will say is that the overall message of this story may be clear, but I suspect different people will take different things from it. And that's kind of the power of the story. It has this universal message with many different facets that can apply to many different struggles and many different phases of a struggle. And it's funny because even though there was satire about you know, motivational talks and motivational books and philosophies, I did in the end find this story motivational. It <laughs> felt like, you know, the story was speaking to me. It's supposed to do that. And I suppose anyone who's tried their hardest to get somewhere and found that it wasn't enough needs a story like this to remind them the worth of the struggle itself. It's kind of like a meaning of of life story in that way, I guess. And I just found it truly charming and unique and beautifully written. It was surprising and I'm so glad this theme forced me to read it and bump it up my list. Um, it did definitely make me cry a little. So Aww. if you are sensitive, you might want to have the Kleenexes around. Uh, but I would definitely, definitely, definitely read if at first you don't succeed, try, try again by Zen Show. And again, it's available to read online. And that is it for our show. Huzzah! Yes. Thank you so much for listening. You can always email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know if you have any themes you want us to cover. We're always looking for those. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts. We love to see what you think of the show, and it also helps people find us. And you can find us online. Uh, where are you, Jen? I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And I'm also on Instagram at S Zainab Williams. That's S Z A I N A B Williams. And thanks so much for listening, and happy reading. <laughs>